Turn to the prison epistles. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You and I, as we look at Gentiles this morning, are going to look at the third chapter of Galatians, the third chapter of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and see what God would have us understand about the Gentiles and the church uh, as he writes through Paul these four books. It is the fact that the church was founded in Jerusalem 50 days after the Lord's death. It is the fact that when it was founded in Jerusalem 50 days after the Lord's death that the majority if not all of those who were there were by religion Jews, if not by blood. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you'll read the outline of the book of Acts as God will write that the, the gospel will go from uh, Jerusalem, then to Judea, then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. It, it started there in Jerusalem. It started with the Jewish nation. That, that's how God intended the church to start. But that's not how He intended it to stay. You see, the Jews in, in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 4, as they were scattered abroad and everywhere preaching the word, I'm going to assume that for a majority of them at least, those Jews that went forth scattered, uh, preaching the word uh, went forth to other Jews. And it's not until Acts chapter 10 and 11 to where we find that first Jewish or that first Gentile convert by the name of Cornelius. As a matter of fact, those who were unbelieving in Cornelius' household were the Jews who came to teach him the gospel. So how do you know that preacher? Well, he was endowed with a gift from God, wasn't he? He was given the gift of speaking in tongues even before he was baptized. To prove to those Jews that he wasn't worthy. As a matter of fact, Peter will say in that point, or in that case there, is there any reason why he shouldn't be baptized? Since there is none, he was baptized. He was the first convert to the New, uh, the first Jew, uh, Gentile convert, rather, to the New Testament church. Interestingly enough, it's not until Acts chapter 11 and verse number, or Acts chapter 17 and verse number 11, it's not until that point to where those disciples of Jesus have a name change given by God when they're first called Christians. Do you remember how that verse ends? They were first called Christians in Antioch, a Gentile nation, a Gentile city. A Gentile church. Interestingly enough, you can go back to um, Isaiah 56, verses 5 and 6, and see where God says, I'm going to give you a new nation, a new name. It's not going to be a disparaging name. I'm going to give you, going to give you a new name, and it's going to encapsulate everything. So when the church began in Jerusalem, that was God's intention. Staying in Jerusalem was never God's intention. It's in Acts chapter 9 where we pick up and find this fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And we first run into him in Acts chapter 7, the latter portion of that. We see him all of Acts chapter 8. Uh, breathing out disparaging remarks. Breathing out threatenings toward the church. 
He's the reason why they were scattered abroad everywhere preaching that word. He's the reason why the, the congregation there in Jerusalem left. In Acts chapter 9, he holds within his very hand what he thinks are papers that will keep the Old Testament law pure. His directive is to go to Damascus and find any of that way, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, any of that way, any of those who are Christians, and put them in jail. Bring them back to Jerusalem, put them in jail. He's responsible for jailing Christians. He's responsible for killing Christians. He's responsible for breaking up Christians and their homes. He's responsible for the pressure and the problems that the church in Jerusalem is having. On his way to Damascus, he has a conversation with the Lord. He has a conversation with Jesus himself. And Jesus says to him, it's very hard for you to kick against what you know is the truth. Saul of Tarsus retorts to Jesus the Christ there and says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? A lot of times we look at that and we say, well, see there, he's already acknowledged him as uh, the Savior, and so uh, so he must already be saved. The fact of the matter is he's saying, sir, to him. He's simply recognizing his authority. He doesn't know who's speaking to him. He's been blinded. He's been knocked off of his horse or his, his, his animal. He obviously knows that someone there who's speaking to him has the authority. After he's baptized, after he's taught by Ananias and is baptized, he goes out from then immediately and begins to teach and to preach the gospel of Jesus the Christ. As a matter of fact, Ananias is told, go to the house there of Simon the Tanner and find Saul of Tarsus because I've got a job for him. And Ananias says, are you sure we're talking about the same guy? Because this is the guy who who is inflicting all the pain on the church. He said, "I have a, Jesus said, I have a job for him. Go get it. His duty given to him by God was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. His duty was to spread that word of God's saving grace throughout that Middle Eastern world. Throughout uh, places like Rome, uh, throughout places like Corinth and Crete, Asia Minor. And without Paul, the apostle, not Saul of Tarsus, without Paul, the apostle, our New Testament looks very thin. If you turn over to Galatians chapter 3. There are at least four points found in these four books that God is going to make to the Gentile world if we simply will just look and listen to what God has to say to convince us that we should uh, be following after Jesus the Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 through 29. Gentile. You are under a covenant with God. Number one. You are under a covenant with God. 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given which uh, could have given life, verily righteousness should have been here by the law. But the scripture hath concluded un, under all sin, the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be judged by it by faith. But after that faith was come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster, for you're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, is neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What an interesting idea as he writes this particular book, the book of Galatians, to those Gentile converts in Galatia, he says to them, Brethren, there's not a Gentile version of Christianity and a Jewish version of Christianity. You, just like that Jew, are under a covenant with God. It is the fact that we teach, and I think the Bible teaches, or else I would not teach that, that mankind must hear what God has to say, that mankind must believe it, that mankind must repent of his sin, that mankind must confess that Jesus is the Christ, that mankind must uh, be baptized in order for the remission of his sins, thereby being added to God's church that was bought by the blood of Jesus the Christ. We teach that week in and week out. With no exception. That's the same plan for a Jewish man as it is for a Gentile woman. Same plan. In Gentile and in Galatians chapter 3, he begins by comparing the law and faith. Now, when Paul does this, he, he's doing a, a sort of an academic study of the difference between the Old Testament law. And the New Testament system of faith. Does that mean there are no laws underneath the New Testament? No. Does that mean there was no faith underneath the Old Testament? No. But that's his way of discerning the difference of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He'll call one the law, that Old Testament. He'll call one faith, the New Testament. So he says... Is the law then against the promises of God? Was the law that was handed to Moses on that mountain against the promises given to God? No way. No way. Matter of fact, they fulfilled those things. And you'll go on further to say that if, if it were in fact righteousness that could come by the law, there'd be no need for, for the, the faith, the system of faith in the New Testament. There'd be no need even for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If righteousness would come by that, if mankind could just stand before God being righteous, keeping fully the law, oh no. That law was a placeholder for that 
that cross out there on, on that hill just outside of the city of Jerusalem. Notice this. That law in verse number 24 and 25 was a way for us to get to faith. And here it's mentioned as a schoolmaster. Uh, the schoolmaster underneath the Roman system of, of government was, for lack of better terms, a school bus. It was a slave, and he was appointed the job of uh, walking the children of this of this area, if not just this household, but this area, to school and back. He was the bus driver. How are they going to get educated? Well, the schoolmaster is going to take them to school. And here, this old law is going to take us into this new law. Notice verse 26, for ye are, you are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been, have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, these two verses here. As he's writing to the church in Galatia, and while as he is writing to those Gentile nations and, and telling them they're just as good as those Jewish nations who have obeyed the, the, the gospel of Jesus the Christ, it's important for us to notice this where he says, You are the children of God, and as many of you as have put on Christ, or have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. As many of who? Those from Acts chapter 2 forward. Are you telling me these folks in Galatia are saved just like those folks in Jerusalem? I'm telling you that exactly. That there is no Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. They're simply just Christian. So, Gentile, you're under covenant. And notice this. For you're all one in Christ. God doesn't see Jew or Greek or Gentile. He doesn't see bond or free. He doesn't see male or female. What he sees is lost or saved. He sees those who are in the body and those who are outside of the body. Notice verse number 26, or 29 rather. And to conclude all this, if you're Christ, well then you're Abraham. And that covenant that was made with Abraham is fulfilled in the church. You say, which one, preacher? Not the lamb? No. Nope. Not the big family? No. The last one, uh, Genesis chapter 12, I think it's around verse 5 or 6. And in these, notice in verse 3. And in these shall all nations of the world be blessed. That promise. That's what's fulfilled within the church. How are all nations on this earth going to be blessed by the church? Now we have redemption. Now we have remission of sin. Now... Instead of the, the Jewish nation, nation holding the fact that they are the one uh, nation of God over the Gentiles' head now, Paul will say, Gentile, you're in a covenant with God. So first, four points that he makes. Number one, Gentile, you're in a covenant with God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, verse number 1, beginning. Gentile, not only are you in a covenant with God, but God's going to tell you all of the mysteries that He has. All of the mysteries. You ready? 
For this case, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you, Gentiles, You've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to you, how that by revelation he may know unto me the mystery, as I wrote for in a few words. Ooh. What if you could know? What if you could know the things an apostle knew? What if you could know the mysteries that the apostles knew? Would you want to? Would you want to know those things? Here he says that the, these mysteries that have been made known unto me in few words whereby when ye read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not known unto the sons of men Gentiles. As now revealed as his holy apostles and prophets and by his spirits, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Jesus Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made minister according to the gifts of the grace of God, according to uh, unto me by the effectual working of his power, and unto me, who am less than least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3, point number 2. Gentile, you can know the mystery of salvation. You can know. Underneath that old law, sacrifice were made, offerings were made, worship was made to the exclusivity of the Jewish religion. Oh, you could proselyte in. You would always be a proselyte. You would be a Jew by religion. You would not be a Jew by blood. And in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, God, Paul says to them, Gentile, I'm going to open up the books. I'm going to show you the mystery that the Jewish nation had been trying to hide from the Gentiles for centuries. And the mystery is this. God loves you. God gave Jesus to Christ for you. God offered His Son for all of mankind. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. You'll read the very beginning. For God so loved the world. That word there, world, is is improperly translated. You and I would look at that in our uh, English minds, our 2018 uh, American minds, and would see a planet. And that's not the word. It's not. It's not for the planet. The the word there is anthropos, which means mankind. That's where we get our our study of anthropology. Anthropos. 
mankind. God gave His Son for all of mankind. For the Jews? Yes. Absolutely for the Jews. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1 and verse number 6, uh, John will record that Jesus came into His own and His own but he was coming for that Jew, wasn't he? Yes. He's also coming to that Gentile. So that all mankind could be saved by the very plan of God. So the mystery of God is number one, Gentile, God loves you. Number two, God sent forth his son. And number three, God expects the Jew and the Gentile to live faithful lives in the kingdom. We've already made mention of it one time, uh, being underneath the covenant and how we will be underneath that covenant by hearing and believing, repenting, confessing, and and being immersed in water. God's plan of salvation. But there's one more that we we kind of overlooked in that idea, and that's remaining faithful. And so the mystery that God would tell us is that, that God expects both the Jew and the Gentile to remain faithful. Gentile, you're under covenant. Gentile, I'm going to show you all the mysteries God has given. If you will understand God loves you, God sent His Son for you, and you will live a faithful life, God will open the doors of heaven to you. He'll give you everything that He has. Turn over the book of Philippians. So we have Gentiles being underneath the same covenant. We have Gentiles understanding the same mystery. Philippians chapter 3. Gentile, you need to understand that you're going to be called by that same high calling of God. The same exact one. In uh, verse number 13, let's begin. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Wait a minute. Who's he writing to? The church in Philippi. And and what's that first word he said to them? Brethren. Brethren. Fellow children of God. I don't count myself to that. I count myself as one who is forgetting things that are behind, reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Let it therefore, as many as are perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, Whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have for an example. For as for many walk, of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that they are not that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from which we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like His glorious body, 
according to working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. As you and I look at this holy calling, I need you to understand what Paul says to them first. You need to forget some things. They may say, well, we were Gentiles. You know, you know how we lived in the past. Yeah, you need to forget that. It's interesting how he writes, forget and reach. Forget those things that are behind you and reach forward. In verse number 12, 14, he'll write again, I push forward, I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high call. When I decided to go to the Memphis School of Preaching, I was a bridge inspector for uh, the Alabama Department of Transportation. I went in and told our project manager, I said, I'm, I'll let you know I'm going to officially retire from bridge building in January 1, on January 1, and uh, and I'm going to go to the Memphis School of Preaching. And he said, oh, you got the call. I said, I don't know, I guess I missed it if I did. As if only preachers are called. Christians, Christians have been called by the highest calling. That calling, that high calling of God, the difference between you and me is I have the opportunity every week to stand here. I get the opportunity to preach, and I'm glad for it. There's no high calling for preachers. And medium-sized calling for uh, for members. Every Christian is called by the high calling of Jesus to Christ. And realistically, if you and I want to push the envelope just a little further, every person is called by the high calling of God. And some just won't accept it. Some just, just will not get in line with it. Some will reject it. Therefore, as many of us be perfect, be thus minded. Notice verse 16, by the same rule and the same thing in verse number 17. Now, you want to mark somebody? Here, here's a good one we'll never put with, with marking somebody. We even see this in a negative light. Here in verse 17, Paul says, you mark us. You look at us. You follow after what we're doing as an example. He says it once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1. Be ye imitators, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Jesus Christ. Brethren, we're called by a high calling. But there are those in verse 16, 17, or rather uh, 18 and 19, who may have been called by a calling, but who will never... Listen to that calling. For many walk, whom I've told you often, even now tell you, weeping. And in my mind, I think back to Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. That his prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And you and I can think of men and women in our family and who are our friends, who you would pray for every single night that they would understand what God would have them to do and live that way. 
And it is the fact that times when we think about them, when we talk about them, when we understand fully what they have decided, it will make us cry. And he says, with these people who decided not to follow God, it brings me to tears. And in verse number 19, he said, and their end is going to be destruction because their God is their lust. They're better. Whatever the flavor of the month is, that's their God. Their God is, is uh, their, their glory is not shame. They're looking and, and fixated on worldly things, but not us. Our conversation, our lifestyle is of heaven. And we look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're called by that high call, by that high priest. For a higher purpose. Gentile, you're underneath the covenant. Gentile, here's the mystery. Gentile, here's the calling. Now turn over to Colossians chapter 3. And finally, Gentile, you're supposed to seek after God. Notice beginning verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you are then a, a, a Christian, if you have put on Christ, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead. And your life is hid with Jesus, or with Christ in God. Stop at verse 3 for a moment, because I don't know if you've ever seen this play on words that, that Paul does here. One, you're dead. And two, your life should be hid in Christ. So that, that don't work. Either I'm dead or I'm alive. Which one is it? Oh, you're dead that old man. But you're now alive in Jesus Christ. See, if, if you've been risen with Christ, what's the, what's the antithesis of that? Of that you died to something and that you've been risen with Christ. When Christ, who is our life shall appear? You also appear with them in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon this earth. What members? Those lustful members, those members of fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, under which ye also walked sometime when you lived with them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. See, you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge of the image of him which created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is all. And in all. Gentile. Not only are you under covenant. Not only do you have the mystery of God within your hand that you can read and understand. Not only have you been called by a high calling of God. Gentile, we should be seeking after God. We should be seeking after those things that are heavenly, those things uh, that are more than just this earth. 
If you and I look for things that are simply just here, all we're going to do is feed our lust and our own bellies and our uh, our fornication, our inordinates, all these type things. We're going to feed our anger and malice and wrath and filthy communication. We're going to feed all of those things. But if you and I look for something that's above, if we seek after those things that are God, then we're not going to be focused here. We're going to be focused there. See, God doesn't want us to focus here. He wants us to focus there. Find ourselves in a quandary. Because this is where we live. These are the folks we live around. These are the folks we deal with every day. How can we not live here and still teach here? Because we know where our home is. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. You'll read about a group of people who who were called pilgrims, wanderers, strangers. But they were only called pilgrims and wanderers and strangers here because their home was somewhere else. Their home was in a place where God would call them their children, where they would call Him their God. They were looking, they were seeking for that heavenly home. Where are you seeking today? You understand and know that you're under covenant, underneath the authority of God. If you you understand the mystery of God, His plan of salvation, and His means by which to be faithful. If you understand that God has called all men, including Gentiles, then what are you seeking for? Jesus would say to those Jewish followers in Matthew chapter six and verse thirty-three, "Let's seek you first." Kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things we have to you. Gentiles, we said this to you. Just because He said that to a, a Jewish nation does not make it any less true for us. But seek you first. And all that righteousness. Seek you first. What are you seeking? Are you seeking a life here or are you seeking a life there? That's going to easily determine how you answer these next few questions. If you're seeking a life here, this will be about the time you are looking and saying, boy, I wish he would wrap it up. I can smell uh, whatever has been prepared for us in the next room and smells fantastic. You're seeking a life there. Let me ask you just a couple of questions. Put on Christ in that. The answer is no. Why not? What are you waiting for? You've heard twice in this particular lesson how to do those things. Hearing God's word, believing those things, repenting of your sin, confessing that Jesus is the Christ, and, and being immersed in water will be have you added to the church towards Jesus Christ and his blood. And if you've done those things, then brother or sister has to live faithfully. Are you continuing to seek him? Or did you just say, I've done just enough? fact of the matter is you and I can never do just enough. If Jesus, the Son of God, was willing to give His life 
all those adopted sons are going to be asked to do the same thing. If you're not going to Christ in baptism today, is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, they may be late. If you've not been obedient to God, now is the time. Right now. While we stand and while we sing.